So I'm going to be talking about the stem cell debate again, but this is, I must say that this is mainly a theology talk instead of a stem cell talk. It's going to be heavy on theological anthropology. My name is Arvin. Um, I'm a grad student at Hopkins, but I do have some um, background in theology. So this is the presentation outline. I will just have one slide on introduction. Good thing there are other speakers. Uh, I will talk about the classical ethical categories, deontological and theological, which uh, the previous speaker also discussed. And then from here, I will go into theological anthropology, where I will spend most of my time, the two notions and the two orientations. These are just frameworks that I kind of created that I would propose to you that I find would be helpful in analyzing the stem cell debate. Um, and then how the notions and orientations from this theological anthropology would help us analyze the stem cell debate. And then precautions for using this model and also some concluding remarks. Okay. So the case is basically if we use stem cells for research, then we'll be using human embryonic stem cells. And these are pluripotent cells, which is good, but they come from blastocysts, which is most people think is bad. <laughs> Um, research utilizing human embryonic stem cells may lead to very promising various basic science and also medical advances. Basic science may be understanding cancer mechanisms. Uh, medical advances may be curing something like Parkinson's, treating Parkinson's, as previously said. So now, as Christians, what do we have to say about this dilemma? But before going into that, I just want to go over just basic classical ways of how philosophers or moral theologians have analyzed this, and that's typically known as the deontological framework and the teleological framework. Fancy words, but I kind of need to use the names because I'm going to be making a chart. Um, I'll be repeating these terms over and over. So the deontological framework places morality in the action itself or the duty of the moral agent. So this means some actions are inherently right or some actions are inherently wrong. Um, with this, also then the duty is, is, is a problem, right? So an action may be inherently right or wrong, but if the duty is to do that action, then it could be flipped. For example, to kill is, might be inherently wrong, but if your duty as a soldier is to kill, then it could be flipped as something right. So deontological is also very complicated. Teleological is the consequentialist idea where you judge an action based on its consequences, whether the good outweighs the bad. Just classical ways of looking at things. Now, the deontological views on the stem cells, these are two examples that I would put. One could say, using this mindset, if a doctor's duty is to alleviate suffering, using stem cells in medicine is the morally correct decision. Right? But one can also say, using the same framework, that using stem cells involves killing embryos. It is not the duty of a scientist or a doctor to kill embryos. Therefore, stem cell use should be prohibited. Okay. So it seems that the, the deontological view can be used to support or prohibit stem cell use. It doesn't solve anything. Teleological view, same thing. I will give you two examples. One can say that stem cell research leads to advances in both basic and medical sciences. Therefore, it should be allowed. This has been discussed before. So this would be pro-stem cell use. But on the other hand, some have said stem cell research may lead to advances that disrupt nature's order and evolution. In addition, it could utilize more embryos in the process, leading to more destruction. Therefore, it should be prohibited. 
So even looking at the consequences, there are good consequences, there are bad consequences. How are you going to weigh the two? So teleological view also has arguments to support and to condemn stem cell research. Now, this is the diagram, basically, right? Oh, just a short summary for this section. Stem cell research, deontological, teleological, saying yes, saying no, yes, no. The point of this slide is that whether you say yes or no, whether it's deontological framework or teleological framework, there are some underlying anthropological assumptions or um, beliefs that a person would just assume. I hope that's not me. For example, when someone says, we should use stem cell research because it alleviates human suffering and it is our duty to do so. The, one of the assumptions is that suffering is not part of human nature, perhaps. That, we can, that it is right to do anything to just get rid of it. When we say something to kill life forms, which is embryos, is not our duty, therefore no. The basic anthropological assumption here is that early embryonic stages, whether it's blastocyst or zygote, they're human beings. They're individuals. That's the underlying assumption that uh, this kind of person would hold. Same thing here. Suffering is not part of human nature. Now this part, when, when a person says this leads to disruption of nature's order and evolution, therefore we should not use stem cell research, the underlying assumption could be that human nature is not something that's constant. It's something that's developing. But we should not temper with it. So regardless of all these models, there are anthropological assumptions that will drive you. And there are definitely many anthropological views, whether it's from philosophy or from, from religion. And what I'm going to talk about is Christian theological anthropology. Oh, I just set my own slides. <laughs> I will only propose the theological anthropological views from the Christian perspective. Okay. So some of the questions here, I'm going to propose two notions and two orientations in theological anthropology. This is the first notion. The, the notion answers what constitutes the human person. What's, it, what's in a being that makes it an individual or a person? This is a theological question, right? Some of the classical answers revolve around this. Rational mind, consciousness, free will, moral agency. Sounds familiar? St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, Boethian understanding of a person, rational mind. This is all here. I like to call this view the substantial notion of human person because it implies something is inherent in the substance of the person, kind of independent of other things. It is just what you have okay. that makes you an individual person. So that's one notion. The other notion, when someone asks what constitutes a human person, the other answer could be very relational. I use the word relational here, but the other speaker would have used the word um, attachments. Attachments. As opposed to the substantial view, a being is called a person when it is in relation to something, whether it's family, whether it's community, whether it's church or God. A person is understood as relations. Not necessarily what that person has, but more of like where that person belongs. That defines you who you are. Because you come from somewhere. You don't just pop up out of nowhere and you have a certain set of attributes. No, it's an interaction with environments and all these things. 
So this is what I call the, the relational notion of the human person, where relations constitute personhood. Now, having talked about the two notions, I will propose two orientations. The orientation basically answers the question of where can we find the fullness of human nature? One classical answer, some propose that the fullness and perfection of human nature can be found in the prelapsarian state of Adam and Eve before the fall. This would be the Calvinistic, Presbyterian, standard, Reformed church view, that before the fall, everything is good, and then after the fall, we are all under sin, therefore human nature is corrupted. So the view here is looking at the past, looking at the prelapsarian Adam, which will be reconstituted in the future, but the original state is, the, is where you have that innocence. If you are non-literal interpreters of the book of Genesis, then that story is not literally Adam took an apple, took a fruit or something, but maybe it's just a story of every developing human person that would inevitably make the wrong decision in childhood or of some kind and would fall into sin. That would place the innocence of human nature lies somewhere in the very early stage in life. Now, I like to call this the ontological orientation of anthropology because it looks to the past to look for the fullness of human nature. The opposite of the past is obviously the future. And I like to call this part the eschatological. Some argue that the fullness and perfection of human nature lies at the eschaton, at resurrection. This quote-unquote eschatological orientation of anthropology emphasizes the future instead of the past in developing the understanding of the human person and nature. So it doesn't matter what your past is, but what matters is you will die and you'll be resurrected. That's what you're looking for, the new heaven and new earth. So I meant to put pictures, but I was afraid of like copyright issues. <laughs> I was going to put pictures of theologians. So basically, if you have a substantialist idea, that's more of Aquinas. Relational view, maybe if you're from an orthodox camp, that would be someone like John Zizulis. If you're from an evangelical, relational point of view, person's relations would be someone like Miroslav Volf. Okay? Someone who is oriented to the past would be Calvin, um, Berkhoff, Hodge, all the Reformed theologians. Uh, theologians who look at the fullness of human nature in the future would be theologians of hope, more like Jürgen Moltmann, Wolfhard Pannenberg, the neo-orthodox school from Bart, all Bart students. So this, just the various theologians from various denominations note that it's not, they're not camped by denomination by denomination. There, is, there are Catholic theologians who are relational, and there are Protestant theologians that are relational. There are Orthodox theologians that are relational. So when discussing this, we should not really discuss it about like what denomination believes in what. This is why I propose this model in having two notions and two orientations. So if you're confused, this is the diagram. Anthropology, I propose notion, orientation, substantial and relational, ontological and eschatological. Right? So if notion, you value consciousness, rational, creativity. If it's relational, you value the relations to family, society, and church. If it's ontological, you value prelapsarian state, perhaps. Eschatological, the new body, the new creation. Now, having talked about all this. Well, I go so fast. <laughs> um, the next part that I want to do is to mix these two with these two because there will be some variations. 
And the possible combinations of the two notions with the two orientations will drive our decision in answering the stem cell question. And it also depends on what question you ask. So this is now the notions and orientation of the stem cell debate. If you subscribe to substantial notion combined with an ontological relation, understanding of the human person, one could imply or form a theological understanding where new life is formed at conception. Why? Because it's something that's there. The, the mark is there. It's novel genome or the biological clock is reset. It's something substantial, but it's also ontological because you look at the source. You look at the origin, right? So this would be an example of this. If you subscribe to this kind of belief, then most likely you will be against using stem cells for research. The next combination, substantial and eschatological. If the substantial notion combined with eschatological orientation of the human person, one can view the fullness of personhood can be found either at adulthood, when the nervous system is fully developed, you have matured, you have moral agency, you have wisdom to do things, and this is the fullness of human personhood, human nature. Therefore, that's where you should find it. It's eschatological somewhere in the future. Or you can push it all the way to the future, the eschaton, at new creation. You can place it in either one of this spectrum. Um, if you subscribe to that, most likely then you would not be against using stem cells too much because you, your focus is in the future, not in the past. Third combination, relational and ontological. This is a difficult one to think of for me because most relational theologians, I think, are future-oriented like Zizulis or Miroslav Vol, they're very future-oriented. It's about having relations with God. I'll talk about it later. But a relational notion combined with an ontological orientation of the human person could argue that although an embryo or a zygote is not yet an individual, personhood can be bestowed upon it from its relations to its parents. This is very, very interesting. So... If you have this kind of theological framework, you can bypass the science research. Even if science says that a zygote, a, a blastula, or a morula can be split into six different individuals, that means at that one point it's not a single individual. It doesn't matter because it, it's not what the genome has. It's not what the totipotent cells can do, but it's more about how that zygote is related to the parents. Right. So that would be somewhat of an orthodox Zizulus view. Or you can see this if you were Calvinistic. St. Augustine says something from the Trinitarian model. The Holy Spirit is the mutual bond between the Father and the Son. It's the fruit of the love between the two. You can say that as the zygote, just the zygote, is the mutual bond of the father and the mother, of the husband and the wife. Therefore, you should not abort it because personhood is already bestowed to that early life form, right? So this would kind of bypass science. So obviously, if you have that kind of view, you would most likely be against using stem cells for research. And the last possible con combination is a relational notion combined with an eschatological orientation of the human person, believes that the fullness of our human nature is restored only in the future when we are finally in communion with God. This could be very distant in the future, or it could be done now when you are 
initiated through sacraments, entering the church, entering the relationship with God, right? The Catholic Church, the, the Orthodox Church would be could have this kind of understanding of a person. It doesn't really have to be in the eschaton at the end of time. It could be now in our present lifetime. If you have this, then maybe disrupting, you know, the, the concern about disrupting nature's order or post-human modifications would not concern them too much. It would not concern you too much if you have this kind of stance. You would not be too against using stem cells, I don't think, even though the complicit factor might still be there, the guilt. So this is what I just made, basically. What I just went through is just answering the question, should we support stem cell research in the sense that are we killing a life form when we do this? These are the two notions, substantial, relational. These are the orientation, ontological, which is past-oriented, or eschatological, future-oriented. I say most likely, most likely, most likely, because you cannot really put a person in a box, especially not theology. But at least with this, you can kind of, you can use this framework to answer various kinds of questions, right? Depending on where you lie, your answer is going to be different. And this is interesting. For that specific question, it doesn't really matter what your notion in anthropology is. What matters more is your orientation. If you're more past-oriented, you're going to be more reluctant to use stem cells. If you're more future-oriented, you're going to be more open to using stem cells. The notion substantial or relational probably not going to take that much effect. So I'm proposing this kind of framework to analyze questions. There are other ethical questions related to stem cells, whether it's reproductive aid, in vitro fertilization, or eugenics, or abortion. You can start thinking about where your position is in this chart. And when you listen to someone, you can try to see where they are in this chart. Right? Is this? Do you think this will be useful? This is what I'm what I think is useful. Um, finally, some precautions and concluding remarks. What are the precautions? Whenever we subscribe to any theological position, it has some weakness. I'm not the kind of person that says there is one truth and that's going to be it. There's a biblical foundation. I'm not that kind of a person, even though I know some of you might be. For example, if you believe in a substantial notion with an ontological orientation, you would probably emphasize that the, the crown of humanity is rational and intellect. But once you define a person in that way, or human nature in that way, then what about people who are born mentally retarded? Are they less of a person? So there's a danger there. This is the, this is the problem with Aristotelian notion in Aquinas, right? Mentally retarded people are kind of pushed aside, or even women are sometimes kind of pushed aside. Now, if you are substantial and eschatological, focusing more in the future, after your brain has developed, you must have some moral agency, you have wisdom, that's the crown of human nature, being able to make moral judgments correctly, be more like Christ, then what about people who have frontal brain damage? What about people who suffer from frontotemporal lobe degeneration, FTLD, who would lack inhibition, so they would always pick an action that gives them um, immediate reward, regardless whether it is right or wrong. 
What about them? Do you consider them less of a person because they don't have this enough moral agency or wisdom? What do you say to those people? It could be inherent. It could be from an accident, an auto car accident. It could be from anything. What do you What do you do with them? Relational and ontological. If you believe in relational and ontological, you would think you would emphasize their attachments to their parents as the dignity that is bestowed upon them that defines their personhood. If that is the case, as I have brought up before, what about orphans or abused children? Pastorally, how do you tell them? When you start defining things like, well, it's attachment, da 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 da, da but my parents abused me. So defining personhood in this camp have its problems pastorally, I think. And finally, if you subscribe to relational and eschatological, you most likely would value relations to the church or God. But what about non-Christians? You say that a true, a restored person would be the person that have relations with God, whether it's through Christ or through the church or through the sacraments. Many theologians say this, but what about people who have not become Christians? Or what about people who have not received sacraments? What about non-Christians? What about atheists? Are they less of a person? How are we supposed to view them? So I think, I, I think this um, framework is very, very helpful, but it doesn't come free. I think it has precautions that we have to be very aware of. And I urge you to consider these things when you're trying to think of your position. Um, the conclusion. Various theological positions certainly influence one's decision in the stem cell debate. No doubt, I hope, at this point. The proposed anthropological framework, the chart, provides a new way of looking at bioethics because it doesn't look at the classical deontological teleological framework. It looks more, of, looks more into your anthropology. The proposed framework forces us to reevaluate our faith, our theology, and it helps us understand the faith of others. What I hope with this is that despite the outcome of the policies, I hope we don't call scientists baby killers or <laughs> call conservative Christians as idiots who think that zygotes are human beings. Despite whatever the science of policies are, really it's a matter of disagreement of anthropology. It really is a matter of doctrinal disagreement for us Christians. This disagreement is just not any different than our disagreements on sacraments, our disagreements on salvation. It's not that much different. It's just that when you have the stem cell question faced, attached to it, the whole thing just blows out of proportion. And I hope we as Christians can be united instead of arguing too much about this. And last but not least, every theological position needs to be mindful of its exclusivity, of its weaknesses, so that we need to nuance our, our position, maybe balance our positions better, so that we'll be more open to ecumenical dialogue. Thank you.